Well, good morning, everyone. Why don't you go ahead and open your Bibles with me to uh, the New Testament, to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, and if you're a guest this morning, just so you know what we've been doing, we're in a series called Blessed, which is a study of um, eight statements Jesus made in the introduction to his famous Sermon on the Mount. And uh, with those statements, uh, he called anyone who would follow him to a way of life that runs contrary, not just to the norms of culture, but the norms of human nature. And two weeks ago, we heard Jesus say, blessed are the peacemakers, not peace lovers. Everybody loves peace, or at least the idea of it, right? He said, blessed are the peacemakers, happy, favored, are men and women who through faith in him experience peace and reconciliation with God, and then as a result, go out and seek, seek to bring peace and the message of grace to our world, a world in conflict. And they will be called children of God, Jesus said, because they reflect uh, the character of their Father in heaven, who is by nature uh, a reconciler, a peacemaker. Now this morning we come to the eighth and final uh, beatitude or uh, blessing statement. And while, you know, while most of Jesus' comments up, up until this point surprised his listeners, uh, this, this last one may well have tipped the balance and just freaked people out. Because in a sudden turn of direction, Jesus moves from the possibility of harmony to the potential of uh, hostility. You know, in, in one breath, essentially, he shifts from peace to persecution, declaring, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Translation, Jesus says, anyone who follows me and lives the way that I just described, with humility and mercy, being peacemakers and all the rest, they will experience the opposite of those things. Uh, which is really strange to me. I mean, you would think the world would respond, to, to the, would respond well to those characteristics, but Jesus says, no, it won't. Instead, you'll be mistreated because of your faith in and obedience to me. So suffice it to say, Jesus doesn't end this series of statements on a high note. Uh, I'm pretty sure the prospect of suffering was not something his listeners were expecting or particularly wanted to hear. And the statement he, he issues here represents a, a very serious warning. And if it's true, then, um, then it only makes sense we consider the implications. And what does it mean to be persecuted? And to be honest, I'm not sure I can fully explain it, but I'm going to give it a shot because there's really no ambiguity here. Jesus is quite clear. He says, for those of us who choose to follow him at some point or another, on some level or another, we may suffer for the decision. And it's interesting to me, when Jesus said this, his 12 closest friends were, were with him, right nearby. And even for them, you know, this must have come as a shock. It created a, um, a defining moment in their lives. Uh, we know that Jesus had just recently invited Matthew and Peter and Andrew and James, John, and seven other guys to follow him. And, and now he, he explains what that following involved. You know, he in introduces them um, to an aspect of discipleship that serves as a fork in the road for people. He tells them that being a follower is not going to be easy. You know, while it's true, forgiveness of sin and eternal life are, are matters of grace. You know, if these are things offered freely through faith in him, it's also true that the repercussions of faith may be costly. Uh, and given the public context of this, of, this, of this teaching on the mountainside, we know that Jesus wasn't keeping this a secret. There are a lot of people around him wasn't just the disciples. So clearly he wanted everybody to know this, everybody to be clear on the matter. Everyone there, men, women, students, heard what he said, blessed are those who are persecuted. And so suddenly this became a defining moment for a whole bunch of people. It was decision time, you know, who would follow him and who wouldn't? 
Who would choose to be part of his kingdom in which citizenship meant being mistreated and victimized? Who would make that choice? You know, often when Jesus said hard things like this, people would just walk away. Um, my guess is that when the term persecuted got used, a lot of folks did. They probably stood up and said, okay, I'm out, class over. You know, humility, mercy, meekness, even peacemaking, I get that, I can accept that, but suffering? No, I'm out. Jesus expected that. You know, he, he knew this idea of persecution would separate the superficial from the serious. By identifying suffering as a potential companion of every follower, a line was drawn in the sand. Discipleship would be hard. And Jesus would often say things like, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life from me will save it. He said, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you don't belong to the world, that's why it hates you. Remember, a servant is not greater than the master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. So you see, Jesus was always upfront on this, on the cost of discipleship. And a, a lot of people couldn't handle it. A lot of people wouldn't handle it. They would say, you know, Jesus, here's the deal. You're a nice guy and everything. You're a good rabbi, an amazing healer. And you very well may be the Messiah, but heaven or no heaven, uh, I'm not interested in the commitment you're talking about. Commitment that leads to mistreatment. And I want us to be really careful, uh, you know, not to, not to judge that response too harshly because, I mean, really, how interested are we in that kind of commitment? You know, as a crowd of people sitting, listening to Jesus' teaching this morning, how do we respond to the words, blessed are those who are persecuted? You know, happy, favored, or are the mistreated because of faith and obedience, rewarded are those who suffer for the sake of righteousness? Here's the historical reality. Uh, many of the listeners uh, on the mountainside who accepted the potential consequence of following Jesus within a few short years would experience the brutality he was talking about. Matthew, John, Peter, Andrew, the rest of the disciples, along with many other believers, men and women, uh, they would eventually have to cling to Jesus' promise that when you're persecuted, when you're insulted, when you're slandered, when you're mistreated because of me, Jesus said, you can still, you can still rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. As most of you know, soon after Jesus' death and resurrection and then his ascension, the church was born and the first local congregation was established in Jerusalem. Uh, it was a community of men and women who believed Jesus as, as the Messiah, believed in him as Messiah. They were filled with the Spirit of God. They were impassioned to go out and share this good news of God's love and grace and, and, and eternal life and forgiveness with the world around them, not just through their words, but through their actions. But it wasn't long after the faith, uh, long after uh, the establishment of the church, the faith of God's people got tested. Uh, the, uh, the Jewish authorities uh, rejected the idea that Jesus was Messiah, and um, they launched an, basically an all-out assault on those who believed he was. They began searching out these Christ followers, these Christians, harassing them, arresting them, confiscating their possessions and their property, and in many cases, stoning them, executing them. The goal was simple, to snuff out this growing movement called Christianity as quickly and as thoroughly as possible. Eventually, the Romans um, followed suit. In 64 AD, the emperor Nero, a, cru a cruel dictator, 
falsely blamed Christians for setting fire to the city of Rome. And he declared Christians to be a threat to the empire, ordered them rounded up, their money taken, their possessions confiscated, some were imprisoned, most were beaten and abused, and many were just murdered. Secular and religious historians alike record the horrible saga of first century persecution. Basically, Nero killed Christians for kicks. It was a sick form of entertainment to the guy. In the Colosseum, he'd throw Christians to, to lions and, and thousands of people would watch as they were ripped to shreds. First century Roman historian Tacitus writes of Nero's cruelty. He says, in their very deaths, Christians were made the subject of sport for they were covered with the bloody hides of wild beasts and worried to death by dogs or nailed to crosses or set fire to. And when the day waned, they were burned to serve for the evening lights of Nero's gardens. And the accounts of brutality uh, go on and on and on. It's recorded history. And yet in the midst of, in midst of that hostile environment, in the midst of the persecution, the church didn't just survive, it thrived. That too is history. Christianity flourished under martyrdom. Why? It flourished because the pagan culture saw the faith of these people and how they responded to, to suffering, how they responded to threats and death with this underlying sense of peace and joy that was unexplainable. It was, it was, it was so unusual that pagans began to want what these Christians had and they became followers of Jesus. The church grew. And as it did, Jesus' words were fulfilled. Suffering became a kingdom quality. The total number of those martyred uh, during Roman persecution is unknown, but most scholars agree, interestingly enough, that more Christians have been martyred over the past 50 years than the first 300 years of the church's existence. In other words, persecution is not something of the past. It's not limited to the first or second century. As many of you are aware, today in various regions of our world, followers of Jesus are victimized simply because of what they believe, with many of them paying for it with their lives. According to the Pew Forum on Religion and Public Life, Christians are currently harassed by governments in over 80 nations, a number confirmed by the U.S. State Department. The worst offending countries where believers face intense pressure and violence, number one, North Korea, two, Somalia, three, Syria, then Iraq, Afghanistan, Saudi Arabia, Maldives, Pakistan, Iran, and Yemen. According to uh, persecution.org and opendoors.org, these are groups that monitor the situa situation around the world. Uh, according to the, uh, these groups, more than 100 million Christians are being victimized globally in some form or another. For example, every month, 214 church properties are destroyed. 722 forms of violence are committed against believers, beatings, abductions, rape, imprisonment, etc., Last year, in 2015, uh, 7,000 executions were documented, a number up from 4,000 in 2014. And those are just the documented ones. <laughs> and in closed countries like North Korea, where, where per persecution of Christians is sort of the norm, there is no accurate record of deaths or executions. What we know for certain in North Korea is that between 50 and 70,000 Christians are held in labor camps simply for owning a Bible. When you start thinking about what's happening, what's happened and what is happening currently, it makes Jesus' statement here all the more relevant. Yeah? Uh, and yet so often, given our cultural context, we in the Western church drift into believing that life as a Christian should be easy and trouble-free. 
And there are some who go so far as to suggest that God, God kind of owes it to us. He owes us health. He owes us wealth and ongoing pleasure, although nowhere in Scripture uh, are we ever, give, are ever given such promises. Instead, Jesus said, in this world you will have what? Tranquility? No. He said, in this world you will have trouble. Still, many of us in the church get irritated and upset with God when life doesn't go exactly our way or when we experience any degree of discomfort. Because for the most part, we ignore Jesus' words. We don't expect to suffer in any shape, way, or form, especially not persecution, and certainly don't feel like we should, and therein lies the problem. Yet from the opening lines of his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus warned that suffering for faith is a distinct possibility. It happens, and when it does, it shouldn't surprise us. Why? Because Jesus said, a servant... A servant is not greater than his master. He said, if the world persecuted me, it'll persecute you as well. But here's the deal. When it comes to suffering, when it comes to physical, you know, physical persecution, as American Christians, we've pretty much been spared. Although, according to a recent article in the Washington Times, current polls indicate in the past two years alone, the number of Americans who think Christians are facing growing intolerance in the U.S. has increased drastically. But even with that said, for the most part, when it comes to physical persecution, we remain experientially ignorant, right? Don't you think that's true? I mean, since becoming a Christian, I've never taken a beating because of faith. Have any of you? And don't get me wrong, I'm not complaining about that. I'm not hoping to go, go get jacked up by somebody because of what I believe. You know, Jesus doesn't suggest we do that. He doesn't suggest we go out and invite martyrdom. But I'm, I'm just grateful that God allows me to live in a nation where at least till now I'm free to express my faith. But I wonder, if I did face the threat of physical brutality, would I stay true to Jesus? Would you? I mean, if we had to take a beating if we had to serve a prison term, if we had to give up all of our stuff for being a Christian, would we stand firm in what we say we believe or would we fold? That's a tough question to answer, isn't it? Hopefully we'll never have to face that kind of violence, the violence that forces the answer. But look, just because we don't suffer extreme physical persecution doesn't mean Jesus' words fail to apply. Uh, as Christians, there are other beatings we take as a result of faith. Physical suffering is only one form uh, of persecution. I mean, we may face what I would call ego beatings. What do I mean? Well, we live in a society today that glorifies human ingenuity and, and rugged individualism. The goal is self-sufficiency, self-assertiveness, personal achievement. And it's within this cultural context that as Christians we say what? We say, I can't do life on my own. You know, I'm a broken person. I need help. I need God. I need forgiveness. I need grace. I need rescue. I need wisdom and direction for my life. I need the church. I need Christian community to help me grow and serve and live in a way that is right and healthy and good. I need, I need accountability in my life. I need you. You need me. But acknowledging our need for that kind of help is becoming less popular in this country. It's seen as a weakness. In addition to that, in an ever-increasing degree, it is politically incorrect and unacceptable to say anything negative about any religion except Christianity, which seems to be fair game for ridicule. And that's not just my opinion. Uh, Ira Glass, 
is a very well-known, well-loved radio personality. He's the host and producer of NPR's uh, hit show, This American Life. Glass happens to be an atheist. But what's fascinating to me is in a recent article that he gave, he's, he, he openly asserted that Christians are often treated unfairly by today's media. Ira Glass said, Christians are really horribly covered by the media, depicted as these hot-headed, crazy people. And then he goes on to explain how that didn't really match his experience with Christians in, you know, in his life. He says, the Christians in my life uh, were and have been all incredibly wonderful and thoughtful, generous-hearted, and totally open to a lot of different kinds of people in their lives. He says, those who I felt close to and adored were nothing like the way Christians are being portrayed. What Christians really are is not being captured by today's press. Now, that's not... That's not uh, the paranoid opinion of some church leader is the objective view of an avowed atheist who sees the reality. Because the reality is there are, there are politicians in our, in our nation today who suggest that Christians are weak-minded. There are those in the media who see all of us in the church as just angry hypocrites. Hollywood celebrities attempt to rationalize and legitimize their outrageous lives and behavior by embracing relativism and labeling Christianity as an antiquated crutch for neurotic people. You know what I say to that? I say, look, Christianity is not my crutch. It's really more than that. It's, it's my foundation. Uh, it's, it's at the core of who I am. It's my life. I need God, and I'm not ashamed to admit it. But if we admit it, if we admit that our relationship to Jesus is the most important thing to us, we may get labeled weak, unintelligent, hypocritical, or neurotic. We may be mistreated. Maybe we may get misrepresented. And that's not easy to take. That's not easy for anyone to handle. So if you don't want your ego bruised, don't let anyone know you're a Christian. You'll probably be okay. But... If you stand up for what you believe, if we all stand together as believers and we talk about faith in Jesus, uh, you know, some are going to call us fanatics. Be baptized as a follower and you may get labeled an extremist. Love people unconditionally. Seek to make peace with, with, with your enemies and you'll be, you'll be called naive. Serve others sacrificially. You may get called foolish. Give generously to God and the cause of the gospel and you may be called stupid. Hold to a belief in moral absolutes and you might be labeled narrow-minded. Speak out in favor of morality. And you'll get called old-fashioned. But understand this. In the midst of all the name-calling and the finger-pointing and the misrepresent misrepresentation, if we hold faithfully to what God says is true and right and healthy and good, despite what the world calls us, Jesus will call us children of God, heirs to the kingdom. I so appreciate the Apostle Paul's attitude on this when he writes Christians living in Rome. He says, look, I don't care. I don't care what people say about me or what they do to me. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the good news of Jesus because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. He says, I am not ashamed of it. Are we? Are you ashamed of it? And be honest about it. God already knows the truth, but be honest with yourself about it. It's a crucial question to ask ourselves because, listen, Jesus said at one point, he says, look, if anybody's ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them. If you call yourself a Christian, 
Are you, am I willing to, to take an ego beating for the sake of righteousness? Blessed are you when people insult you. And what about relational beatings? That's another form. You know, in another instance when he was, Jesus was talking about suffering, he explains to his followers that uh, faith in him may bring about conflict uh, in, in their and our relational world. He says, because of, because of me, a person may get mistreated by members of their own household, the members of their own family. In other words, if you become a Christian, it may cause those who are closest to you to condemn you, to avoid you, to mock you, to pick on you, to isolate you, to reject you, to abandon you. And some of us in this room have experienced the pain of those broken and lost relationships among our family members, among our friends, because of our commitment to Jesus. And that hurts, right? That hurts. Have you experienced that at all? I mean, have you taken some kind of a relational hit because of, of your faith? Chances are, if you're trying to pursue Jesus with your life in a real way, you have and you will. But again, Jesus said, blessed are you who are mistreated because of me. But whether we're talking about physical, ego, or relational beatings, I mean, how are we just, how do we, how are we just respond to all this? I mean, how are we supposed to handle Persecution, if and when uh, it, it comes, you know, do we do we adopt a, a victim mentality? You know, do we uh, walk around with a "woe is me" attitude, feeling sorry for ourselves? Apparently not, because Jesus says, when you're mistreated, when you're insulted, when you're slandered because of me, He says, "What? Rejoice and be glad." Translation: When facing persecution in one form or another, don't retaliate, don't mope around, don't whine, don't wallow in self-pity. Don't deny the pain of it, or don't pretend to enjoy it. Instead, he says, rejoice and be filled with a deep sense of gladness. Why? Three reasons. One, he says, because great is your reward in heaven. I.e., even if we lose everything here on earth, as followers of Jesus, we receive and inherit everything in heaven. Not as a reward of merit, but has a gracious gift that comes through faith. A second reason to rejoice and be glad is because persecution, persecution serves as sort of a token of genuineness. Uh, it's, it's like a certificate of authenticity. Notice Jesus says, he says, look, in the same way, the prophets before you were persecuted, persecuted for their faith, for their commitment to God and to righteousness. They suffered as well. In other words, if we experience persecution, we're not alone. We're a good company. It happened to some of the prophets. It happened to Jesus. And then the third, and, and probably the greatest reason for rejoicing, Jesus said, is that you suffer because of me, he says. Out of loyalty to the one who sacrificed himself for us, we offer our lives to him. Remember, Jesus said, whoever loses his life for me will ultimately save it. Blessed, happy, favored are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Let's stop and think about that for a second, because... I mean, think about the irony in this. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. But does anyone else find it astounding that a person who exhibits the qualities described by Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount, humility, sadness over sin, meekness, a desire to, to, to be right and to do good and to be merciful and to be authentic and have a pure heart, to be a peacemaker, isn't it amazing that anyone whose life reflects those qualities would be persecuted because of them? Isn't that twisted? 
But basically, Jesus is telling us, listen, the world is going to pursue and mistreat you for loving God and living in a way that is good and right and healthy and safe and helpful. Like it or not, that's the way it is. That's the broken environment in which we find ourselves. Persecution comes from living in a mixed up, sinfully twisted world. One in which right is wrong and wrong is right. A world which at its very core is antagonistic to the Lord we follow. I mean, every aspect of Jesus' life, his claims, his character, his, uh, his teaching, his attitude, uh, his servanthood, his response to sin, his, his reaction to difficult situations, even suffering, all of that is a threat to the evil in this world. Evil wants nothing more than to wipe any trace of righteousness from the face of the earth. So understand, any expression of authentic Christianity runs against the grain of human rebellion as well as against the grain of the world system in which we live. The inevitability of persecution is grounded in the fact that as God's people, we're called to live, live for him before a watching world. Some people are going to resp respond well to that. I mean, you know, sending several hundred people out on a Sunday morning, rather than gathering in here, sending several hundred people out into the community to serve the community, asking nothing in return, some people are going to respond well to that and say, wow. For others, our actions, whatever they may be, our actions, our attitudes may become a source of conviction as we strive to pursue lives of grace and mercy and generosity, peace and servanthood, ironically, the world may respond with hostility. And as much as we would like to cruise through you know, our Christian experience unscathed by any degree of discomfort, the reality is we all must pay a price for following Jesus. We all must carry a cross. Suffering on some level is inevitable. It's inevitable, Jesus said as much. If we're really living for him, there's, there's going to be some degree of hardship, some degree of hardship, even if it's the pain of sacrificing time to serve or the pain of giving you know, generously out of our finances to support the work of God, both here in our community and our region around the world. I mean, are you experiencing and enduring hardship because of what you believe because of who you say you believe in? If not, why not? Listen, I gotta just tell you, I feel weird standing up here talking about persecution, this whole, this whole idea of suffering, because the reality is I don't know much about it. I really don't. I mean, sure, it's true I've experienced some relational breaks and some ego beatings because of being a Christian, but the fact is, my faith has never caused me material or physical suffering. My freedom has never been at risk. My property never, has never been confiscated. My life never threatened as a result of what I believe. So when I hear the words of Jesus, I can't, I can't help but wonder, what, what would I do if it were the case? What would I do? If I was given the choice between denying Christ and living or acknowledging him in suffering, maybe even dying, what would I do? Make no mistake about it. A lot of Christians around the world right now have to face that choice. They face it every day. And we should pray for them, we should stand up for them, we should speak out for them and do whatever we can to promote justice on their behalf. But here's my warning. In the context of our American comfort, let's not be so naive to think we remain immune to the possibility of such injustice. 
We are not. And the history of the church indicates otherwise. So here, here, here's the final question. If you consider yourself a Christian, a follower of Jesus, what are you willing to give up for him? You know, more often than not, we avoid giving up our goals, our desires, our money, our time, our energy for the cause of Christ, let alone our freedom in our lives. What are you willing to sacrifice for the name of Jesus? It's something, it's something serious to think about because he says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, insulted and mistreated because of me, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Our Father, we just want to take a moment and acknowledge that around the world today, even at this moment, there are, there are, there are fellow Christians who suffer simply because they're Christians, because of what they believe, because of who they believe in. And we pray for them, for their protection. Give us wisdom on, on how to better stand up and speak out on their behalf, to call for justice for the church around the world. But Lord, I pray that you, you would not allow us to be fooled into thinking that uh, persecution is for those other Christians and not for us. It's not something we will experience because the reality is we do. Maybe not on the same level, we do. And who knows, maybe even greater persecution is coming. But um, persecution has a way of of causing the church to flourish and to express true faith and commitment. And so I pray this morning that as your church here, that we would have the courage, no matter what is happening in our lives, even if, even if we're, we're suffering to some degree for you, I, I pray that no matter what, we would, we would praise you as our God, we would serve you faithfully, and we would worship you with all that we are. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together, shall we? So I've been thinking a lot about this this week, you know, this whole idea of persecution. I got to tell you, um, I'm going to give you a little Ray K unfiltered here, okay? There are a lot of Christians in this country that claim to be persecuted because of Jesus. And the reality is, it's just because they're obnoxious. You know what I'm saying? The church sometimes is we're our own worst enemy. Because we talk about loving others, those who are different. We don't love. We can't even get along in here. We talk about being merciful, but we withhold mercy. We talk about forgiveness. We withhold forgiveness. We talk about generosity, but we hold our stuff close. We talk about all these things, but we don't do it. And then we wonder why the world looks at us and says, what a bunch of hypocrites. Sometimes we deserve what we get. And that saddens me. But there are other instances when we live like Jesus, when we do what is right and what is good and what is safe, what is healthy, what is merciful, what is generous for the people around us, for the world around us, we do serve others, we do act in Jesus as Jesus would, and we still get criticized. That's what Jesus is talking about. And even in those moments, we stay faithful. We stay faithful. And so um, stay faithful this week. Uh, thanks for being here, and uh, hopefully this was a series that was helpful to you. Next week we start a new one. We're going to do so some studies in Proverbs, and so I hope you can come back next week. We'll get that started, okay? In the meantime, let me pray for us, and we'll be done.
And now, Lord, I ask that as we go our own way, as the church leaves the building this morning, when we live in such a way that some people will say, wow, there's something different about these people. They're, they're, they're generous, they're merciful, they're loving, they truly are. What is it? And might you give us the opportunity to point them to Jesus? And even when we act in ways that are good and right and we get criticized, may we stand firm knowing that Jesus took way more than that for us. So now may your hand of grace and peace and strength rest on your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week.